0: The Bible from 30,000 feet, soaring through the scripture from Genesis to Revelation. Good evening. My name is Nelson Walker. I have the privilege of being one of the pastors here. And as Skip is traveling, I have the dual privilege of being the scary privilege of standing in his pulpit. Um, Romans chapter five, Romans chapter five. We are going to take about three or four words in this chapter tonight and dig very, very deep. There was a boss who called his employee into his office early Monday morning to begin the shift. You ever go to the principal's office? The boss says, "Hey, Bill. I know you don't believe in God, but this last week I found proof that there's life after death." Bill says, "No, th- there's no such thing. There's life, death. There's no such... No, I found proof, absolute proof. There's life after death." Bill says, "Fine, prove it." So, okay. You remember on Friday when you left early to go to your uncle Sam's funeral? Yeah. 30 minutes after you left, your Uncle Sam showed up here (laughs) looking for you. So Bill, do you agree that there is life after death? (laughs) Romans 5, verse 6. For while we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, someone would even dare to die. But God proved his love. Some translations say demonstrated. The word is proved by demonstration. For God, but God proved his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now they say a picture is worth a thousand words. So some of the concepts I'm gonna deal with, I've put up on a PowerPoint so we can catch it easier. And I'm looking at the screens. Can Can I have my PowerPoint up? Is it there? Hello. There we go. We start with God. God proved his love. So God. In the beginning, God, this is before time. Before creation, before anything exists, God is. God just is. He is independent of creation. There is no time. There is no space. There are no angels. There are no human beings. He exists outside of time and space. He exists distinct from creation. He's completely separate. And the word omniscient has to do with everything he knows simultaneously in the present. I have something I want you to look at here. This is called an hourglass. On the bottom would be the past. In the middle is the present. In the top is the future. But you stand outside of time. So you see past, present, and future at the same time. It's all at the same time. With God, all the past from creation, all the future, going eternally is present tense. We call this the eternal now. There is God. He lives in the eternal now. There's no past, no present, no future. Everything is there without recall. God is. Now, so as to remove distraction, somebody's got their stopwatch out. God is. And so in creation, you hear such things as Moses at a burning bush. When he says, who shall I say sent me? What is your name? God says, I am. I am. Or the psalmist would declare before the mountains were brought forth or ever you formed the earth, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. 1,000 years in the future is yesterday in your sight. It's just a watch in the night. God is, in the beginning, God. And God exists as Trinity. That that these big words ontological means being, dynamic means how he relates. So God is a Trinity. God exists as one God, three persons. Within the nature of the one true God are three separate and distinct persons. There's the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. We see it at the baptism, for example. Jesus coming out of the water, Holy Spirit descending like a dove, and the voice from God from heaven saying, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Why an emphasis on the Trinity? Because God is love. You see, God loves. And you have the Father exalting the Son, the Son exalting the Father, On earth, Jesus would say, I always seek to glorify the Father. And yet, in the scriptures, you read how the Father is always glorifying the Son. And Jesus would say, when the Holy Spirit comes, he doesn't speak of himself, he'll speak of me. You see, God exists as one being, yet at the same time, a community of love. This is important because God said, I am going to create something. I am going to create people in my image that I can love who can love me in return. So in the beginning, God creates the heavens and the earth. Now I want you to notice there's a line there. I call that the arch. I didn't make up that term. Somebody else who came up with something called the theology program came up with that term, but I loved it so much I stole it uh, because I can't. (laughs) Above the arch is God in his timeless eternity below the arch is god in time time begins a creation transcendent god is transcendent meaning he is beyond outside of and yet god is imminent meaning he is with us so god is outside of time the eternal now past present future is all the same. There's no recall, there's no he just knows everything. Even to the point of the thoughts and the intents of our hearts. Or the psalmist would say, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit down, you know when I rise up. You know my thoughts from afar. There's not a word that I speak that you don't already know it. So this past, present, future is all one with God. So God has created human beings to share in his love, below the arch. First he creates the angelic realm, then he creates the celestial realms. We know he created the angels first because Job 38 says that the B'nai Elohim, sons of God, saw the creation of the world and shouted for joy. So God's created the angelic realm and the celestial realm. This is below the arch. Now this is all gonna come together. You'll, you'll, You'll see how this is gonna be awesome. This is below the earth. It's in time. We are all creatures that live forever, but there was a beginning. Only God has no beginning. So when Jesus says things to his disciples, in my Father's house are many mansions, I go to prepare a place for you. Or to the thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise. Or Paul says, I was caught up into the third heavens and beheld things that you can't even put into words and describe. Or in Revelation 4, when John is caught up and he sees the throne and the sea of glass and the angels and the, and the elders and the worshiping of God. All of this is below the arch because we're all creatures of time. Even when we go to heaven, we are below the arch. Only God exists in eternity. Time is the passing of moments. I don't know if that comes across, but I have a lot of lines. Time is the passing of moments. We live in a past, present, future. God lives in an eternal now. Scripture verses. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. There was a time before time. The heavens and the earth are in time, and yet God is still outside of time. Psalm 102. You of old laid the foundations of the earth. The heavens are the works of your hand. They will all perish, but you endure. They grow old like a garment, like a cloak. They will be changed, but you don't change. Your years never end. Isaiah, remember the former things of long past. I am God, there is no other. I am God, there is no one like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from the ancient times things which have not been done saying, I will accomplish my purpose, I will do what I please, or in Acts. Known from eternity are all of God's works. Now think, his works are still in the future. There's a time we're going to go to heaven. There's a time that there's a coming kingdom. There's a time that Jesus is going to be on the throne. All of this is still going to happen. Before eternity, God knew all this because it's the eternal now. Above and below the arch passages. For this is what the high and lofty one says, who lives forever, whose name is holy. I live in a high and holy place, but also with those who are of a contrite and lowly spirit. I live above the arch, I live below the arch. Jeremiah, am I a God near and yet also a God far away? Revelation, I'm the alpha and the omega, the two, it's like A and Z, the Greek alphabet. Alpha, omega the beginning, the end, who was, who is, who is to come. So God lives in a passing of moments. Let me illustrate. I'm gonna illustrate by admitting to something I get in trouble for. Hi, sweetie. I tend to remember movies that I have seen for years. I remember the dialogue, I remember everything. I can sit with my wife and a movie comes on and she says, we've never seen this. And I'm saying, oh no, we saw this. And as the movie's playing, I'm the spoiler. Y'all know what that is? Have you ever gone to somebody to see a movie that they saw that you were really looking forward to? And they they play the spoiler. Oh, this is gonna, they're gonna say this, they're gonna do this. well you just, okay. Everything is a rerun with God. Because it already happened. You got it? Everything's a rerun. So there's a sporting event. You're watching a sporting event that you pre-recorded. The score is always going to be the same. It's predestined. You got it? It's predestined from above the arch. Let's say I had the ability to know the future, and next week I know what the winning lotto numbers are. So this week I go buy a ticket with those numbers. Am I gambling? No, no I'm, I'm investing. <laughs> in the eternal now, everything is a rerun. So we take that to salvation because that's our verse. In Romans five, God proved his love toward us in the while we were sinners. Christ died for us. Now, understanding above the arch terms, it's all predestined, why? Because it's a rerun. And yet, I'm in time, it's not predestined. I'm still making the play, I don't know. It's a football game, I don't know what the score is gonna be, but above the arch I know, below the arch I don't know. Listen to these verses. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. And whom he did predestinate he also called and whom he called, he also justified and whom he justified, he also glorified. These are words of salvation such as I was not saved. I was saved. I am now trying to live for the Lord. Someday I'm gonna go be with the Lord. Past, present, future, order of salvation. Or in Romans 9, and 10, it says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So I believe, and then I'm saved. This is known as the order of salvation. I want you to notice back in Romans 8, it said, Whom we did foreknow. It ends with, He also glorified. 1 Corinthians 15 is when we get our glorified bodies. It says, You go to be with the Lord, you get a glorified body. That's glorification, it's future. But in Romans 8, he said, You are already glorified. Why? Because He's above the arch. And he's already seen that you're going to win. God doesn't gamble on lotto tickets. He invests in winning tickets. He that began a good work and you'll be faithful to complete it. God from above the arch can say glorified because from his perspective, you are where you are. You were where you were, but you've already finished the race. Did you, did you see the above the arch? He took an above the arch term, glorification, and dropped it below the arch to assure you, you're gonna make it. You're gonna make it. A lot of confusion in theology is because people take above the arch terms and put them below the arch and below the arch terms and put them above the arch. But the order of salvation looks something like this. Whom he did foreknow. That is always the first, always the first. Foreknow comes from two Greek words, pro, meaning before, and gnosko, meaning knowledge, knowledge before. Whom he did foreknow. So in Romans 8 we read, whom he did foreknow, he did predestinate. Or in Peter we read, chosen according to the foreknowledge of God. So all salvation is based on foreknowledge. Knowledge ahead of time, because it's a rerun Spoiler alert, it's a rerun to God. Order of salvation, it's a rerun. Whom he did foreknow. If I'm to bet on a game that I already know the score, it's an investment. It's not a bet. It's all a rerun. So whom he did foreknow. All of salvation is based on foreknowledge. So God provides for salvation because of the atonement. You notice foreknowledge is above the arch. Whom he did foreknow, he also chose, elected, he predestined. Predestination, it's, it's a rerun. The score is always the same. In time, God sent Jesus Christ to provide atonement. God provides for atonement. 1 John says, Jesus Christ is the atoning sacrifice for my sins, for our sins, but not only for ours, those who believe, 1 John 2, but also for the sins of the whole world. So God, from above the arch, provides salvation for all below the arch because of the cross. So he provides salvation. He also desires salvation. The Lord is not slack concerning his promises as some count slackness but is long-suffering toward us not willing that any should perish but desiring all to come to repentance or in 1st Timothy God desires all to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth so he provides for salvation he desires salvation and he calls all to be saved God calls us four ways. We're still drilling down on this God thing. Creation, conscience, conviction, and calling. Creation. Psalm 19 says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The earth is handiwork. Day after day, utter speech. Night after night gives forth knowledge. There's not a speech or a language that it is not heard. So creation tells everybody God is God. Okay. Creation. Creation. Conscience. Romans 1 says, God put the truth in every person. And if they have not come to salvation, it's because they have suppressed the truth in unrighteousness and worship and serve the creature self more than the creator. So there's creation, there's God, there's conscience. You need to respond to the truth. Conviction, creation, conscience, conviction. Jesus said the Holy Spirit will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. So there's a God, you need to respond to the truth, and by the way, that's wrong. That's conviction. Don't do that. This is the truth, that's not. Creation, conscience, conviction, calling. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all to myself. So we get to the New Testament in Acts 16, and there's a lady called Lydia. Paul is preaching, and it says God opened her heart so that she might believe. Because, you see, the Scripture says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The Scripture says that all are dead in trespasses and sin. The Scripture says there is none that seeks after God. We have all gone astray. We all seek our own way. None of us on our own would ever call on God. We are dead, we are rebellious, we are hopelessly lost sinners, we are astray, we cannot find our way back. And yet God Almighty, through creation, conscience, conviction, and calling, you look at Lydia, will open the hearts for people to believe. The problem is, he only opens the heart, Lydia had to believe, So Jesus would say, I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone opens the door, I will come in and we will fellowship. So God provides everything. He desires that all will be saved. I'm I'm emphasizing this because there is a camp that reverses this. Now let me first of all say, The Baptists and the Pentecostals and the Presbyterians and the, you can go on and on and on. All who believe in Jesus are going to heaven and are going to worship him forever. It doesn't matter the denomination over the church. The theological camps, the big things with Calvinism, Arminianism, John Calvin and Jacobus Arminius did not agree, but they're both worshiping Jesus. So this is not an attack. You never slap Jesus' fiance because they have some difference of opinion on on something. There are the essentials we all agree on. They're found in the Nicene Creed, the Apostles' Creed, the Chalcedonian Creed, and everybody agrees on those. But they're non-essentials. Are there charismatic gifts today? Yes or no? Does Jesus come pre-trib, post-trib, mid-trib, premillennial, mid-millennial, post-millennial, amillennial? We all agree he's coming back when is debated. But I'm saying that because there is, within Calvinism, this belief. And I'm quoting, It is a cardinal foundation of Calvinism that regeneration precedes repentance. What it means is people are born again in order to believe. They do not believe to be born again. See, people will argue these and they'll say, God is sovereign, and there are a lot of verses and they're true. People argue, they say, man has free will. There are a lot of verses and they're true, but what happens is people will take one verse over the other. I'm going to the premise. For Calvinism to stand, they will tell you, man is completely lost, cannot save himself. God must intervene. He intervenes by saying, these people are saved. I'm not saving you, but I'm saving you. Regeneration, you're born again. He flips the switch. Then you realize, oh, I need to repent. Regeneration precedes repentance. But the scripture always says, repent and believe and that you'll be saved. Whosoever believes, they will be saved. Call on the Lord, you shall be found. If they seek me, they will find me. The scripture places calling on God before salvation. Calvinism places salvation before calling on God. It's a premise argument. If the premise falls, the system falls. I have lots of Calvinistic friends. They're godly scholars. We, we carry a lot of this stuff in the bookstore. I Don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to slap anybody or put anybody down. I'm just saying the premise of Calvinism is regeneration before born again, before belief. But every passage in the scripture that has regeneration and repentance in the same verse always places repentance before regeneration. So the foundation is wrong. The system can't stand. And I'm sure I'm going to get emails. And I got lots more, but we don't have time to talk about that. The order of salvation is repentance before regeneration. So God is a being of love who creates man in his image so that he might lavish his love because God is a giving God so that man might be able to love back. God provides salvation for all, desires for all to be saved and calls all to be saved through creation, conscience, conviction, and calling. And God proves his love for us. How? We talk about the atonement. This is the cross. In the order of salvation, it's the first thing below the arch. Jesus died for our sins. There was a point in time that Jesus died for our sins. Our last slide. However, Revelation 13.8 says, the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world. Ephesians 1.4 and 5 says, chosen in Him before the foundation of the world, that you would be holy and blameless before Him, in love, having been predestined to adoptions as sons and daughters by Jesus Christ. So Revelation 13, 8 and Ephesians 1 say the Lamb of God was slain before creation even happened. It says that you were chosen before creation occurred. Now we go below the arch. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says, God made him, this is on the cross, Sin for us who knew no sin. That we would be made the righteousness of God in him. It's a dual transaction. My sin to him, his righteousness to me. Or 1 John 3.1 says, Behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us, that we should be called the children of God. It's 1 John 3.1. Here's where I want to do that drop the mic moment. I know that a moment in time, Jesus Christ died on the cross. He was arrested, he was falsely charged, he was taken through many trials, he was beaten, he was flogged, he was mocked, he was crucified. Three hours of darkness as the wrath of God for all the sins of all humanity were poured out on him. The judgment of God, the separation, so that he would cry, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? The declaration of victory, it is finished. Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. He didn't go to hell. He went to the Father. Burial, resurrection, all that happened in the past. But the Lamb of God was slain before God even created the world. Here's what we're going to blow some heads okay God is the eternal now the cross is seen by God before creation because everything for God is present tense everything the past, the present, the future so above the arch the payment for my sins Always was, always is, and always will be. Yes, there was a point in time. Yes, it is finished below the arch. But God proved his love in that from above the arch, there is never a moment that my sin is not being judged. That is why I can forever be forgiven. God proved his love because he's willing above the arch to say, I love you so much. I love you so much that before the world even was, I'm judging your sin. After the world ends, I'm judging your sin. Because he made him who knew no sin to be sin on my behalf, that I could be the righteousness of God in him, so that you can be the righteousness of Jesus Christ and live forever in his presence God proved his love not just by the cross in time but by the eternal payment that's how much he loves you God proved his love people say well couldn't God have made a rover. where there wasn't all the sand and people didn't fall? there wasn't that sure he could have God's God he's a lot smarter than I am I'm sure he could have figured it out but the fact is he wanted you to know how much he loves you He wanted you to know the depths to which he would go, the price he was willing to pay, that you could join the dance of love eternally going forward. God demonstrated his love. And then while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So I want you to listen to these verses again. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore I have drawn you with loving kindness. God proved his love toward you in that while you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. Jesus Christ was slain before the foundation of the world. He chose you in him before the foundation of the world, that you would be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined you it's a rerun, to adoption as sons and daughters by Jesus Christ. For God made him who knew no sin to be sin on your behalf. For God made him, yes, who knew no sin to be made sin on your behalf that you would be made the righteousness of God in him. It's an eternal transaction. Behold what manner of love the Father bestowed upon us that we should be called his children. Why such a price? Well, see, God created a perfect world. Even the angels were perfect. And yet... Lucifer, who was the anointed cherub who covered, meaning he, he was basically the angel who hovered above God's throne and led the angelic choirs from worship. Lucifer saw creation of Adam and Eve and then rebelled. How do we know this? Well, it says you were the anointed cherub. Ezekiel 28 and Isaiah 18 are the two passages. By the way, all my notes with all of these verses... In a week, they're going to have them online. So if you are like, I tell you what, these but they'll be they'll have them online because I already sent them to the people. But they have to proof them to make sure that I didn't do what I normally do, and that's misspell simple words like "and." Um, <laughs> y'all know it. You type stuff. The computers put it in. I know that. It's a conspiracy. All right. You were the anointed cherub that covered. You walked in Eden. So Lucifer hasn't fallen, God creates Adam and Eve, Lucifer rebels, there are five I wills and basically he says, I will be my own God. God will not. Worship the creature more than the creator. He's thrown from his position in heaven. You can't hurt God so what do you do? Attack his children. Any of you have children? How would you feel if somebody went after your children? It's like whoa! Slap me—that's one thing. Slap my child? Okay. So Satan goes after the children. Adam and Eve have—I don't believe they were in the garden long. And why do I say that? Well, first command that God gave Adam and Eve says, "Hey, be fruitful, multiply." Now they're in perfect health, but she's not pregnant. She doesn't get pregnant until after they fall. So I don't think they were in the garden for years and years and years. I think that it was a very short period of time, but that's just my opinion and that and a few bucks and get your cup of coffee somewhere. <laughs> Adam and Eve are in the garden told, don't eat of that tree. Adam and Eve say, do I worship the creator or do I worship the creature? Are you God or am I God. They ate of the tree. The day they ate of the tree, they died. They died in the fact that they were separated from God. See, Jesus describes eternal life in John 17 this way. He says, Father, I wish that they would have eternal life. And this is life eternal, that they know you. See, life eternal isn't duration. Everybody lives forever. Jesus in Matthew says, the righteous will go to eternal life, the unrighteous to eternal damnation. Same verse, everybody lives forever, but relationship with God. I wish that they would have eternal life. So separated from God so that all the offspring are now born separated from God. Well, that becomes a problem. So it says God kicked him out of the garden, put the angels there and said, uh, don't let them back in because if they eat of that tree and live forever in this state, it'll be bad for them. We want them to die. And we're saying death is horrible. Anybody lose a loved one? I mean, death is horrible. And yet, it's a blessing. Because your inner man, soul, spirit, gets to leave. And if you believe in Jesus, listen to this. When this corruptible has put on incorruption, 1 Corinthians 15, and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying, death is swallowed up in victory. Death wears your sting. Hades, where's your victory? The sting of death is sin. The strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ. God provided a way that even though we ran away, we could still go home through death. As bad as it is. So God, because he's a being of love, created creatures, we're creatures. To love him. He provides for salvation, desires salvation, and calls us to salvation through faith. Here's a problem. I don't think we always understand faith properly. See, faith has three levels. The first, first level of faith, uh, the performers gave us this, is notitia or knowledge, correct content. Paul says, I deliver to you that which I also received. Christ died for sins according to the scriptures, buried, rose again the third day according to the scripture. So the first level of faith is correct knowledge. Now, when I went to school, I had religious teachers who could say, Christians teach this. And they had the right content, but they didn't believe it. It's like, well, I can tell you what Christians believe. I just don't accept it. It's like, okay. So one level of faith is notitia, knowledge. Second level of faith is a census or assent, belief. Okay, so Christians believe this and I believe that. And unfortunately, I think it's a very dangerous thing that we think we're saved when we say that. Because the scripture says, you say that you believe in God, you do well. Satan believes. Satan believes. He trembles. Why do I say that? It scares me to think that we might deceive ourselves because there's a third level of faith. The third level of faith is fiducia. It's faithfulness, repentance, trust. See, the difference between believing and doing what I want and believing and following Christ is the difference between heaven and hell. Paul says, there are some who falsely claim that I, Paul, teach let us continue to do evil that good may come. In other words, it doesn't matter what I do because I believe. Paul says, their damnation is justified. And it scares me. It scares me when someone says, I believe in God, but I don't believe in my wedding vows. It scares me when someone says, I believe in God, but I don't believe in treating people with respect or loving people or, or forgiving others. I believe in God, but I don't have to obey things because I believe and I can continue to do evil. The good may come. I'm not saying we don't fall. We all fall. I'm married. My wife could give you a typewritten list that would wrap the world. <laughs> we all fall but the person who says, because I believe it's all okay, scares me. So God provides, God desires, God calls, but God says, you've got to have the right faith. You've got to have the right faith. The three levels of faith, correct knowledge, correct agreement, and repentance. Repentance. What does repentance look like? Well, Romans 12, 1 and 2. I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you might then prove what is good and acceptable and holy, the will of God. Repentance is being transformed because I turn from my sin and I turn to God and say, you love me, you provided for me, you are willing to pay an eternal price that I might be eternally saved, I will follow you. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. God proved his love toward us. Am I willing? Am I willing? Can I get the worship team out? Please, worship team. I've got a few more things that I'm gonna share, but I want you to know that I purposely am finishing a little bit early because there are a couple of worship songs I want to close with. So we don't just do God. The scripture says, behold, now is the day of salvation. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as they did and perished. Jesus said, I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone opens the door, God loves you with an everlasting love. God created you in his image because he loves you and he wants to spend eternity lavishing his love upon you. And through creation, conscience, conviction and calling, he is knocking and saying, will you surrender? Or will you take this truth as God has opened your heart to believe? and suppress the truth, as Romans says, in unrighteousness, and worship the creature more than the creator. God has done everything. If anybody is saved, it's because God did it. If anybody is lost, it's because you refuse God's offer. So I'm going to ask a question. If you don't know the Lord, if you don't know the Lord who loves you this much, who said, hell was created for the devil and his angels. But if you die in unbelief, if you die not submitted to him, that's your destination. Says, but I want you in heaven with me so much. I'm willing to pay the price. If you don't know him, now's your opportunity. We're just gonna sing one song. And if you don't know him, I'm not gonna pray first. I am gonna state this. If you're a believer, We are now entering into what's called intercessory spiritual warfare. There could be people here. You remember when you came to the Lord, if any of you came through an altar call, there there was a battle going on in you? I'm going to go. I'm not going to go. Yes. No. If you're a believer, you should be involved in spiritual warfare. And saying, oh God, please. If you don't know the Lord, we're just going to sing a song. I'm not going to pray and say, raise your hand. I'm just going to say, if you don't know the Lord, I want you to come up here and we're going to pray. We'll sing a song. If everybody here knows the Lord, i got something else to say after that. So if you don't know the Lord, just let's worship for a moment and you have an opportunity to come up. And we always stand when we worship because we're like that. have been so, so good. so so good everybody I am able, is there anyone else heaven or hell a loving god goodness. or eternal hell anyone else cuz all my life you have been here So, so good. With every breath that I am able, oh, I was. You're not coming to me. You're not coming to Calvary. You're coming to God Almighty, who loves you with an everlasting love, and before time began, before time began. He looked at you and said, The rest of eternity. But all you have to do is say, Yes. So I'm going to say a prayer. It's like saying wedding vows. There's nothing magic in my words. It's about you talking to God. All right? So let's pray. Here. Come on. Father in heaven, thank you for loving me. Thank you for Jesus on the cross. I know I'm a sinner and have done wrong. I know I'm a I wrong. Thank, you anyway. Thank you for loving me anyway. Please forgive me. Please forgive me. I, open I open the door where Jesus is, Jesus is knocking. Please come in. Please come in. Take over, my life take over my life so that I have life eternal. So that I have life eternal, knowing you now. And forever. and forever. In Jesus' name. In Jesus name. Amen. 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 We want to give you something, a Bible, and, a, and just a little bit of information. So if you follow Austin over here, he's the, the red beard, blonde hair. Um, that's kind of Irish. His wife is Irish. He's my son, by the way. just so remember when peter denied jesus three times peter shows up in john 21 fishing at the sea of galilee and jesus shows up they haven't caught anything jesus says uh, hey throw the net on the other side <laughs> yeah, fine, lots of fish it's the lord peter jumped out of the boat swam to the shore so everybody else had to row in on their own <laughs> jesus runs up to jesus jesus peter runs up to jesus and doesn't say anything because it's like i'm guilty i'm worse what i did was worse than anybody else everybody else running i denied him and he sits thinking how 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 and and of course jesus restores peter do you love me peter yes feed my sheep do you love me yes feed my sheep do you love me lord you know i love you feed my sheep never said look how bad you were you know what we've all been bad but god has one question you love me? The same has forgiven much, loves much. Jesus Christ loves you with an everlasting love. Are you willing to be all in? We're going to sing a song that basically goes over everything we talked about and ask for a commitment. May the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace and unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you perfect, blameless and holy before him with exceeding joy the only wise god to him be all the glory honor dominion and power now and forever amen, amen. take it out there for more resources visit calvarynm.church Thank you for joining us for this teaching from the Bible from 30,000 Feet.